This is the story of an unmarked grave, rumoured to be that of a British soldier killed during the War of Independence. The grave is in Shanbo in Rossburkin, County Kilkenny, a cemetery dating back to the 1600s, which has been closed since 1951. This story was told to Jerry Tubbert as a child by his father. Jerry grew up in Rossburkin. He moved to Belfast 30 years ago where he's been working with communities to address the complexities arising from the past. During his years working in Belfast, Jerry has often thought about the uncomfortable tales surrounding this grave. Jerry returns home to Rossburkin to see if he can find out more about the unmarked grave. What we uncover are layers of stories and myths, fragments of memories of a terrible act. And the last time I've actually walked up here was about 25 years ago, I was just thinking. And this was always quite a busy road, as you can see, with the traffic coming up. So we're approaching the gates, the gate of the churchyard now. And the grave itself, we're standing in a very overgrown patch just inside the gate. And my memory is that that's the grave there in front of me, or in there underneath that growth. I feel I, I, I'm a little disappointed and I'm wondering, bear with me, I'm wondering is there anything in here that may indicate it? Nothing. No, it's not evident. That's about, the, that there is about the only evidence I can see and that may be it. Basically, a mound that's covered in moss and that has some tree roots through it but does seem to be about the right size and orientation for the grave as I remember it. When I was a child in the 1960s I was told a story that there was an unknown soldier buried in this graveyard. Now his grave was never marked. Occasionally you would come and somebody would have put poppies on it. So obviously there was a link with some kind of commemoration or memorial. That hasn't happened in a long time I would say. It's strange to see what was certainly very vivid in my younger days has disappeared. And I'm thinking that it's been forgotten. It's been completely forgotten. Seeing the site where the grave was supposed to be, it was becoming very doubtful if we could verify any of Jerry's story. There was nothing tangible with which to even begin the research. We decided to knock on doors at the houses near the graveyard to see if anyone local might know about this unmarked grave was a moment of kind of relief to me when the young girl phoned her mother and her mother was able to say on the phone, oh yes, the grave of the unknown soldier just by the gate and into the left, which is exactly where I remember it to be. And that to me said at least that whether the grave was real or not, I wasn't imagining things, that somebody else knew straight away where it was. Um, the interesting thing was that this girl's mother is of the same generation as me because I went to school with her. But what's very interesting is that it seems that my generation may well be the last one that has any substance in this myth in the locality. We then went and spoke to my father and mother. For the first time in my knowledge or memory, the year 1798 was mentioned, which I had never heard before. Now, 1798, of course, in New Ross, in that area, was a huge, uh, hugely significant date because the rebellion did happen in County Wexford, just over the border. So it is plausible that somebody involved in the rebellion was shot 
and buried in there. I had never heard that before. But then immediately my father went on to talk about the black and tans and the IRA. I heard the story about the informer. Mm. Mm. And you hear things when you're young that don't mean anything. Very, very unclear whether it was the IRA or the black and tans bit of a contradiction someplace. Mm, I used to hear uh, Mikey's father and my father and grandfather and mother talking about it and seemingly whatever happened that he was an informer, they buried him up here in Shambo at the dead of night. No one knew. That time people were afraid to talk about it. Yes. They'd say, oh, definitely knows something and the next thing bang. So they, they 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 had the fear of God in, 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 in the people around if they melted too much about it like they'd shoot them. That's all I can tell you about the unknown soldier. Now, 1798 again was mentioned by a couple of people and when we met Peggy Power, the elderly lady, the 94-year-old lady. Well, what are you inquiring about? We're interested in the old graveyard in Shambo. Yes and particularly in the story about the unknown soldier in it. Well, uh, that is right inside the gate there. It was always high there. Yes. Whether that is or not, I don't know. That was only local. Yes. So we're trying to find out stories about it, or does anybody know any stories? Oh, I don't know. No, I don't. But there was an old man used to be saying that that was, you know, just because it looked like a grave, no, and it never went down. (laughs) What was it referring back to? Like, I mean... Any particular uh, sort of war or strife or whatever? Well, I suppose this around the uh, 1798 and that sort of thing, you know. Some of the armies would have come in that way, wouldn't they? Yeah. You see, there were a lot of those sort of people that were shot and everything. They were buried that way around on graveyards. Yes. First graveyard they'd get, they were buried in. But what was interesting is in the conversation with her, why their family, with Margot Power and her family, the Cromwellian period was mentioned. I have never heard that before, but then that would be quite relevant in that area. In my family, the story was about black and tans and the IRA and the War of Independence. I have to say that probably the War of Independence features quite strongly in my family because my grandparents, his parents, were both involved. I think the poppies are significant. Somebody did that because they knew something, or at least in their minds, the myth which was associated with the story I had heard, was the story that they accepted as the truth. We left Rossperkin and headed to Kilkenny Military Barracks, where we met with Captain Larry Scallon, who specialises in Kilkenny military history. Larry, how are you? Good, thanks. Larry Scallon's my name, yeah. There's a number of versions of stories around it, but certainly there are other family myths in Mm -hmm. my case, in the sense that my great-grandfather was one of the people who found him in the River Barrow, and that there are various stories about horrific mutilation that had been carried out on him and he was buried in this grave you know as an act of Christian decency but strangely in my lifetime you know I remember going and somebody putting poppies Mm -hmm. Remembrance Day poppies on it now when I say there was a poppy on it I'm going back 25 maybe even 30 years Part of my interest in it is I've always had an interest in it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's one of you when you're a kid. That's it's really yeah. interesting stuff. But I work in Belfast, mm-hmm. and I work quite a lot with 
former paramilitaries and, and people yeah. like that. And uh, I have been involved in working with some elements of the peace process. And to me, this is kind of unfinished business. It's yeah. the same history, yeah. and it's very interesting within the context of the whole general political development of Irish history. Yeah. And the human part of me wants to kind of say, who is this guy, Yeah, you know, yeah. if he is there? There's a couple of threads that I'd pick up on. First of all, if there was a poppy laid there as a mark of respect annually, there is a strong connection with him being a British soldier at some stage. That's a given. If it was a British soldier shot dead during the War of Independence, I'd be inclined to think it would be documented because they documented as much as they could to show this is how active we are in the local area. And in County Kilkenny, there is no documented killing of a British soldier during the War of Independence. No, it gets a bit contentious or it gets a bit difficult to talk about, but there is at least three ex-Irish Kilkenny men who served in the British Army who were executed by the IRA during the War of Independence for being informers. I don't know where any of those men are buried. It happens that subsequently it just doesn't get talked about, do you know? Uh, two of them were shot in a place near Tullerone, and the other gentleman was executed by drowning uh, near Greg Namana. So they're quite difficult, and, and where their bodies are, I, I couldn't tell you. But it is a fact. Uh, and who knows? Maybe there were informers. I don't know. It, history has left us 100 years of space to where it is very difficult to have any primary source of information other than those executions are recorded in the, the military archives uh, witness statements from the 50s so they are very credible you know and there are still some people around who I've spoken to who have said that yes their father remembered the, the incidents happening so like I have go- on good authority you can say they happen. I, I absolutely think that that whole period is an interesting unexplored theme in Irish oh, yeah. history and sometimes I think we want to forget it, but I yeah. think it's kind of dangerous well, to forget it. It is. It is like uh, I talk about just in general the guy in Greg Namana. His name is on the public record. His surname was Kenny, and he was uh, accused of informing uh, uh, and leading, and which led to a number of arrests in Greg Namana. He was arrested, tried, and sentenced to be executed, and he was bound, gagged, and his feet were weighted and a priest was allowed to whisper an act of contrition in his ear, and then he was, uh, I imagine, rode out into the middle of the riven barrow and just dropped in, and they waited till the bubble stopped. Mm-hmm. That was his end. Fairly brutal. dramatic, brutal stuff, yeah. In many instances in Ireland, we use uh, the executions of the 1916 uh, leaders as part of our uh, national identity, how we built our identity. Mm-hmm their blood sacrifice, but this was horrific stuff that happened during the War of Independence and then even the Civil War with our yes. own because two guys, two of the 77 Republican prisoners uh, executed during the Civil War were executed in the barracks here. Both of those, believe it or not, have unmarked graves. Right. Their family know where they are, mm-hmm. but there's not even a headstone. Right. In some ways, these themes are very raw still mm-hmm. in the north mm-hmm. of Ireland. Yeah. The disappeared are still yeah, an issue absolutely. there, you know, and I kind of think, yeah. I wonder how many generations it'll be before we can lay those yes. people to rest. Yeah. What we have found here is a, a multi-layered kind of local myth. A, whether there is a body in that grave remains a mystery. And B, when it's from. So that, that I think, is where we are. At this point, Jerry headed back to Belfast and I continued with the research. 
John Tierney is an archaeologist who specialises in historic graves. I told him the story in the hope that we could uncover more. Jerry's story, you know, he, he probably heard it. Um, uh, all, the, all the confusions that you've picked out all seem very logical. You know, each one could stand on their own. Um, but I, I kind of feel that you have to start with the strong stories and you've got to try and trace those. Um, inside the gate on the left... The geography of a graveyard is very well laid out. So it's eerie, it's, uh, it's interesting for a child, or all those kind of stories associated. But they're very easy to understand and very easy to get your eye into. If you were to go into that graveyard, that errant grave, if it is of a stranger who died, um, somebody not from the parish, they tend to be buried in a particular spot. There's even, in some parts of the country, there's the stranger's half of the graveyard. I'll show you the grave. Yes. All right, so that's so, north, yeah. yeah the, the, the ruin is there of the church. Um, maybe this grave is in an undefined space, but uh, it doesn't look like it to me. That's not, that wouldn't be the stranger's end. If the question is, did somebody from the lo- locality look after this person? Did, did they get him buried and then put a flower on the grave for years to follow? It might also be the same family might have said, OK, they can use our grave or they can use our old grave. There, there's lots of historical accounts of, bur- of British soldiers being disappeared if I can put it that way. I, you know, I've yet to come across one of a burial of, of one of them. Let's say I've been involved with 400 community groups. They'd have all sorts of stories from Cromwell up. I've yet to hear one about a British soldier being buried there. I've heard of local people being uh, executed by IRA courts, very often held in the ruins of the old churches. Uh, there's one in Kilkenny now that comes to mind. That other grave he is referring to is Barony Graveyard in Listowney, part of the Kilkenny Historical Graves Project directed by the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council. This is a grassroots project where local community groups are trained in field serving of historic graveyards and recording their own oral history. I met with Ailish Costello, a wonderful local historian, passionate about the history of her area and in particular the ruin of the Barony Church, located in the graveyard. Ailish had gathered at the graveyard some of the people who were involved in preserving the history of this very beautiful cemetery, which dates back to the 13th century. Do you want to be introduced yeah, to the various? Please. These are all the, the neighbours now. Din Drennan. Hello. This is Patricia. Din just lives over the way there. And this is me, Marty, and the sandwiches too, so you just help yourselves when you feel like it. You know, that sort of way. I'll just lift them out the bag. Such a beautiful place. And it used to be for the IRA dissidents were court-martialed here. Now you're a good bit in off the road there, the yeah. Lisdowney Road, and you're a good bit exactly. in from the Ballyconder Road. Yeah. So it'd be a nice, quiet place for a court-martial. I used to hear my late mother talking about that. She says if you wrote at night now, she used to run out a foul below, and you see yeah, she'd, yeah. Be, she'd be out maybe yeah. at 10 o'clock at night looking at chickens yeah. or whatnot. And... Uh, She'd look up and she could see a light around. Yeah, yeah. Now, to be only torches because know, they yeah, wouldn't yeah. have a car or nothing. No, no, no. She knew well what would be going on, but she had to you know, shut her mouth and that oh, was it. Geez. So there's not much more I can tell you about. May has a few stories there, too, she can tell you. Jenny Avery, the one I was telling you about this, he was milking over in year. Did you? Well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Winter's night, damp. Wet, wet, nice, cold, nice. He says, and this man came into the yard and uh, he asked him if he had a sack, 
for the corn. There'd be a big bag now. There'd be a bigger be, bag than the normal. There'd be nearly five feet high the a bag. Yeah. There and some strong, real strong. Oh, big strong bag. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, Johnny was trying to figure what did he want the bag for, you see. And give it to him anyway. And uh, he went off. And Johnny got suspicious then because the farm was only down, down a bit there, you see. And Johnny reckoned anyway that... He was an area man going to bury someone. He put put him in the bag, you see. He thought about it and that, but the next day he came up to investigate and he saw where there was a shallow grave dug. But uh, I think that was was the truth, seemingly, anyway. Because there were tough times then, you know. The graveyards are full of stories of lawbreakers and and of the victims of, of, of awful acts. Um, but the stories we hear uh, in the graveyards relate to mental health. They relate to murders, child murders. Uh, they relate to, to vanishings, uh, to abandonments, to beatings, um, uh, to, to illness and poverty. Uh, and they're very hard to tell. We have stories from graveyards whereby bodies were left on the walls, of babies left on the walls, to be buried by the custodian or the caretaker, or, or, and they would just bury them you know, when they came across them. Um, people abided or were ruled by the sacred space, but the Irish always been rules, you know. We always, um, well, like our family are all buried in there, therefore the stillborn baby is going to be put in there as well. There's a tradition all over the country of killings for unbaptised children. Now, when we've investigated those killings, it's not just babies who are going into them, so it's not just stillborn. You can actually get quite old children buried in them as well. And even in some cases we've seen people in their early teens, so... It's not just the baptism and not, it's mostly that, but there are other instances that play there as well. And when I've tried to then tell the story of the awful the child murders or whatever, the, the community group say to me, no, we can't tell that story. They're still here. We can't tell the story of the suicide. They're still here. Like five generations later, they, they still have to be um, careful of their, um, their neighbours' feelings. Rightly, people are very conscious of being confronted in public and being attacked is what they call it, you know. Uh, Jeannie, don't walk us into trouble here now. And then we say to them, look, we have to try and tell the hard stories because we want things to improve, you know. So I'm sure with your story, there are multiple versions of it. And I bet you there's actually multiple truthful elements in it too, added to then the respect that was shown. But what's surprising though is the respect is, 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 is sort of hidden. Somebody's walking in there putting a poppy in the grave. Somebody will know who, who was doing that, but they won't say it. Why? Because you could be somebody could throw a rock through your window at night because they thought you had the wrong sensibilities. So I'll I'll go in and have a look. Um, that's so that's my science then. So if I if I go in and have a look, um, I can tell you if there's something funny about that corner of the graveyard. Before I met up with John again at the grave, I wanted to gather as much information as I could. I rang local historians, librarians, priests, and anyone I could think of. I came across nothing. I did, though, come across a local historian who had heard of the story. But he did not want to go on record. People don't want to talk about it, he said. Instead, he pointed me in the direction of the Bureau of Military History to the statement of witness John Walsh, the same witness statement referred to by Larry Scallum. Bureau of Military Archive History, statement by witness John Walsh, Greg Namana Company, Irish Volunteers, 5th Battalion, Kilkenny Brigade, 1916 to 1921, Extract. To revert, however, to Kenny. He continued to reside with the Devonshires and to accompany them on their raids. As the Devonshires did not know the district, nor the names of the people of the town, 
they were absolutely powerless without him. One morning, towards the end of August 1920, I was told that Kenny was seen earlier that morning on the road between Gregnamana and Thomastown. He was alone. On arresting him, we found among his possessions a ticket to Canada. He was also in possession of a good sum of money. The money and the ticket to Canada were apparently the award from the British government for his services to the Devonshire Regiment in Gregnamana. We placed him with a guard of two volunteers in a small house or hut on the banks of the River Barrow at Ballyogan about a quarter of a mile from Gregnamana on the rower side of the river. It was essential to deal with Kenny without delay. We tried him by court-martial. He had no defence to offer and was sentenced to be executed. As shots could be heard at the posts occupied by the Devonshires, it was decided to execute Kenny by drowning. We gagged and blindfolded him and, having bound his arms and legs, we dropped him into the river barrow at a point just a few yards from the eel house. And, as an additional precaution, we tied a 56-pound weight to his body before dropping him into the river. As far as I can now recollect, the date of Kenny's execution was August the 31st, 1920. About two months later, his decomposed body was washed ashore about three miles further down the river, and with two other volunteers, I had the gruesome task of again tying weights and heavy stones to the body and dropping it into the river for the second time. The fact that the body was washed ashore must have come to the ears of the auxiliaries then stationed at Woodstock House in Stieg, for a party of them visited the village of the rower and questioned a number of people about the disposal of Kenny's body, but were given no information. The remaining members of Kenny's family, including his father, who was a blind man, were taken away from Gregnamana by a party of British forces. Where they were taken to, I do not know, but we had no further trouble from spies in the area. Captain Larry Scallon had also raised Kenny's name, but there was nothing tangible to connect the unmarked grave with Kenny. What is clear, though, is that the circumstances surrounding Kenny's death are still sensitive, even after all this time. I was also put in contact with another local historian who was willing to meet me at the grave with John Tierney and discuss what he knew. This is Eddie Sinnott, a local historian. Eddie. Sinnott. Hey, nice to meet you. And the local story that I've come across? I think it's probably interwoven with another incident that, you know, that took place in the Glamour area in 1798. Because that's the two, from talking to a few people locally and from the Tuppets as well, that's the two versions that I hear. I hear one reference to 1798 and then another reference to the War of Independence. Yeah, that, that's a story um, that took place in Great Manor. Um And it's basically, it was a guy that associated, was associated with the Black and Tans and he was executed as well. And he's, he was basically jumped in the river. If testimonies are right, correct, then his body must have came up again and he was put back in the river. But then there's another story that the body surfaced, a body surfaced around the same time in Rossbirken. And some people suggest that, that maybe that man is buried here. It's very unlikely. How far down is the river? Is Probably four or five miles in that direction. Right. I suppose you could make a case that if, if, if the body did turn up and somebody who had family buried here, maybe they might have brought the, yeah. the corpse up. It's possible maybe that they couldn't bring back to the Greater Manor for obvious reasons. Yeah. Greater Manor's in the whole country terms is close by, but you know, that that time it wouldn't. You know, oh. You're talking about what? Probably 20 miles away. Yeah. Winding roads. 
with no connections with that area. Yeah, I mean the name Kenny has come up because it's a known. Having said that, the there's there's Kenny's here. I just sort of seen it now. There's actually Kenny's headstone here. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous limestone, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, erected by Thomas Kenny of Said Raheen in memory of his beloved wife. So this one is, is probably related to that one, yeah. yeah so that's probably. the earlier one. And this fella then, it's interesting to see how he's stuck in. Who is it? Kenny. And they're all facing east, Patricia, for the, the rising sun mm. uh, on Judgment Day. That's a clue to us if we're going to try and trace if there is a later, if there is a burial here relating to the War of Independence, then the burial should follow um, the system that we can see here. They're all facing east and the rows are all running north-south. So if you take the six-foot measurement coming down from the 19th century headstones up there, one, two, three, yeah, we're, we're at four rows down here. So these stones, to my mind, are very definitely grave markers um, and probably 19th century probably for small farmers who couldn't afford to have a big cut stone like those ones up there. So if that's the case then, I'd expect that our, our standard grave would finish down here. And that then might mean I can't see any stones there. The other thing that struck me, there is a slight break of slope there. But there's, 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 let's say there could be a hint of some kind of a common grave there, all right? But uh, of what antiquity, I don't know, but I'm only guessing now. Like, I can see people coming in of a, of a dark wet night and, yeah, and, and, and potentially there. digging in there in the area that, that, yeah. that has been pointed out. If they're not in a coffin and if they're only buried a foot or two down, then that, the actual smell would permeate the place. The, the decomposition of the body would... Um, you'd know it's walking it. through the gate. Yeah, it would come out into the, into the air. There is a smell of death with a shallow grave, um, which is a grisly thing to say. The real local people would have picked up on clues and picked on indicators, even if they hadn't passed of an evening um, and, and maybe spotted something. People, people spot an awful lot, don't they, Eddie? Yeah, they do. <laughs> I presume nobody wanted to be associated with this man. You know, he couldn't, and maybe the family just wants when he was washed up, maybe he got wind of him and they said, Listen, we'll bring him out here and nobody knew. There were a lot of decent people around mm. then as now, you know. I think when he was dead, I think they would probably, he wouldn't have minded if he got a decent burial. But the yeah. chances are then to, to, to be vandalised if it was known yeah. as well. So yeah. that's how desecrated. That's it. Yeah, you know. that's a good, very good point. Mm. We've cases over in County Waterford now where by. Um, I think people regretted letting it be known where where uh, a person had been buried mm. from the from the the state or from the the side of the British Army or the police, and they still have trouble even today um, with vandalism. Um, it's hard to believe, but it's still going on, you know. Um, I must say I was very sceptical this morning, you know, up to coming in here. I wanted to say maybe there is a chance now that the Kennys that are buried here does association with the cemetery but or maybe people are suspicious that he was buried here because yes. there was a family connection you know you don't know that's very true actually yeah all those layers of stories I'll, could have been well hold on yeah. there Kenny's there well maybe that's where they, the body disappeared yeah maybe there, maybe there was some activity and maybe someone said oh, there was some activity there one, one night and around the same time and the whole thing takes yes. legs then and it was such a, a secret of time the true story might never get out so you're trying to piece all the evidence together to try and tell an accurate story, yeah. you know, and it's a very difficult process um, very difficult to do. And you have to be fact-based, and you can't be opinion-based because that that won't get us anywhere, you know. But if you try to get the facts, and what facts do we have in relation to this? It's uh, the, the the point that's indicated as potentially being um, the burial site is a good contender for being a burial place for a stranger, if I can put it that way. It looks like it's just 
outside the strict rules that are observed throughout the rest of the graveyard. Uh, and, and that's about it, really. After all the research, we really hadn't found out much more. A confirmation that it is conceivable that there is an unmarked grave in that location. And a possibility, and I stress it is no more than a possibility, that it could be related to Kenny. Jerry had mentioned to Larry that for him this story had resonance to his life in Belfast. Jerry works as a community facilitator at Balnafai Community Development Association, based in South Belfast. I went to Belfast to update Jerry and to get a better sense of how the rural grave of Shambo and the city of Belfast were for him entwined. Um, we're walking up May Street now, and this street is incredibly mixed. Um, my neighbours are Bangladeshi and Italian on the other side. But yes. At the back of me is all Union Jets. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it'd be nice to be able to package it all up into a nice simple answer, but it's not possible. These things, it's the place we live in, these things coexist, sometimes uncomfortably, um, but they do, they do. People would be forgiven for thinking that this was a huge place, it's tiny, um, which is why in many ways the conflict was so terribly intimate um, because perpetrators and victims didn't live too far apart from each other. We went into Jerry's home and in his quiet sitting room that faced out to the street, I updated him about the local historians and our return visit to the cemetery. Let me tell you one other part of information that we did find out. There is that when we were in the grave looking around, we realised that the prominent name in the family in that chamber was Kenny. Wow. It means nothing. It mightn't be. I'm just really touched. In some ways, although I have always had a kind of uh, feeling for this. It's never been so personal as to hear stories like that, that there's a connection with the name. The chances of a, of a body coming from Gregnamana to Ross Birkin are pretty slim. But who knows? All of these things could be untrue and all of these things might yet be the next layer of the myth that we pass on. But however, it does somehow humanise something. The tragedies of essentially what were murders carried out by both sides, by all sides in, in the War of Independence and the Civil War and all the armed struggles associated with this island over the centuries, are human and personal tragedies regardless of what side those human beings were on. Um, and in some ways... We need to not forget that. I think there's um, a real danger in allowing this to become irrelevant. I suppose a century on from these this these ter these terrible wars, perhaps to some people it's hard to see how they're relevant to modern life and society, and yet. Here we are sitting in Belfast 
and the conflict that was the source of the conflict in the 1920s is still alive around us. We're still struggling, staggering. The victims and victims groups, they don't want their loved ones and their families to be forgotten. And it's not, I think, simply that they want continuous commemoration of the tragedies. I believe that they want these terrible things not to be forgotten so that they will never happen again. I wanted to find out more about Kenny, all the miniature records, with some small variations, echoed the story as told by Walsh, which clearly stated that the family had left Greg However, what I uncovered suggested something else. I started to look at newspaper reports around that time. The first article confirmed Walsh's witness statement that Kenny's body did surface. County Kilkenny, Freeman's Journal, 13th of December, 1920. Body of an unknown man was found in a decomposed state in the River Barrow at Gregnamana. I went to Gregnamana and met local historians Jim Cody, Owen Doyle and David Flynn. We met at the site where the body was found. Jim told me what he knew. The body appeared down here where the water is tidal on the bend of the river between Cool Hill Castle and Clough Garrett. And uh, that's, that's what the story goes that the local IRA lads then were called and uh, they resubmerged the body in the water. They tied weights around it and put it back into the river. Now, locally, that was always ever kind of known of it, you know. That was the story. In Out of the Lashing Rain, in the comfort of Greying the Manor Library, the local historians and I went through the newspaper articles I had found. From these, a story unfolds of a father's fight for compensation for the death of his son. The Freeman's Journal, Saturday, November 12th, 1921. Ex-soldier's death. At the four courts yesterday in the probate division before Mr Justice Dodd, Mr T.C. Kingsmill Moore applied on behalf of Daniel Kenny for liberty to presume the death of his son, William Kenny, and to take out letters of administration. Mr Justice Dodd granted the application. Armed with the papers, he then went to the council seeking compensation. Kilkenny People, December 24th, 1921. Thomas Town District Council. Alleged murder of blind man's son. A notice from Dr. Lewis J. Waters, solicitor, on behalf of Daniel Kenny for £3,000 compensation for alleged murder of son. William Kenny at Gregnamana on 28th of August last. It was decided to consign the document to the waste paper basket. The father then took his case to the Thomastown Quarter Session. It was in this article that the full extent of the family's tragedy unfolded. The Kilkenny People, Saturday, January the 28th, 1922, at Thomastown Quarter Session held in Kilkenny on Monday before County Court Judge O'Brien. William Kenny, a blind man aged 73 years, belonging to Greg Namana, claimed £1,000 compensation for the loss of his son. Mr Kingsmill Moore, KC, instructed by Dr L. J. Waters and Son Solicitor, appeared for the applicant who, it was stated, had been in the workhouse for some time and was now under military protection. He had nothing to live on but the old age pension. Mr Moore, in opening the case, said this was a family against which there had been apparently an extraordinary amount of political animosity. Applicant had four sons serving in the army during the war 
and for that reason he incurred a certain amount of hostility. This hostility first manifested itself in concrete form when his house was burned. It stated in 1917, applicant's house and two other houses of January were burned in 1917. The burning, in his opinion, was malicious, but had nothing to do with politics. It was because the houses were frequented by persons of bad character. Yeah, that's, 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 that's news to me. That is... Go back to 1917 when the house was burned. I couldn't come across anything happening at that time in 1917 here. Applin continued his evidence. When deceased was in company of his father, he was again met by one of the men who threatened him before. This man, whose name it was not proposed to mention, solicited deceased to go manufacture bombs for the IRA. And upon the deceased refusing, he was again told he would be shot. Continuing, applicant stated that when asked to join the IRA, his son refused and said he had fought for one flag and would not fight for the second one. One of the men said, Kenny, remember when the bugles sound from shore to shore, we will shoot you like a dog. His son said, Napu, which is Hindustani for nothing doing. On the 27th of August 1920, deceased set out for Callan, and from that day to this had not been seen alive. Sometime after that only information he'd received, the old man and his daughter went to St. Mullins County Carlow and there the daughter saw a body which had been thrown on the bank of the river. Margaret Kenny, applicant's daughter, gave evidence of seeing the body of a man at the banks of the River Barrow at St. Mullins. She identified the body as that of her brother by the trousers, boots and socks. The boots and trousers were new, having been purchased only a few weeks before her brother disappeared. Her father bought the boots in Enniscorthy and deceased only wore them once before his disappearance. The trousers, which was bought in Gregnamana by her mother for 12 shillings and sixpence, had to be changed to fit deceased and this helped witness to identify it. Witness did not see the face. She did not raise the bag off his head. Council also mentioned that a few hours after the body being seen on the bank of the river by deceased sister, it was again put back into the river. From that date to the present, the same malevolence had been manifested against the family. Another son of the applicant, Daniel, aged 16, was kidnapped and had not been heard of since. And the mother, who was 56 years of age, died from the shock. A third son was only just out of military hospital, where he had been for three weeks a patient, the result of injuries received in a beating. Another son of his was still in the army and was at present in India. On one occasion, while Witness and his daughter were driving along the public road, they were met by a number of men who smashed the cart and injured the donkey. He had already been awarded compensation for that. He subsequently put his daughter to service without wages and went to live in Waterford himself, where he was kidnapped and threatened with the same fate as his son. He was taken to a place some distance from Waterford where he was informed he would be shot in the morning. His boots were taken from him. During the night he escaped, and with a blind man's keen instinct made his way across country to Waterford. His feet were a mass of cuts and bruises, and he spent three weeks in a military hospital and was at present under military protection. Replying to his honour, witness said he did not know that there was a strong feeling against the Kennys in Gregnamana. There was a rumour as to the finding of the body in October 1920. There were no police in Gregnamana at the time. 
Sergeant John Troy stated he knew deceased William Kenny, who used to be familiar with soldiers and police, particularly the military. He was constantly with them and accompanied them when making searches on a few occasions. Mr Moore then addressed his honour on the question of identification of the body and cause of death. He said every conceivable weapon that could be used was used to prevent the case coming to court. His honour said several claims of a similar nature had been before him in Kilkenny and he could not remember that it was suggested that anyone was ever prevented from coming forward to give evidence. Good God, I could go back to my grandmother's time hearing the stories about it, but I never ever heard that of a daughter going down. No. We had a bit of sense made of what we had saw yeah. before that article, but yeah. that really throws it up in the air altogether. Um, yeah. A 16-year-old girl going down to identify body. It destroys everything we ever knew. It does, about yeah. The case. Yeah. Yeah. it does. Yeah. So why, why does it destroy everything we ever knew? Well, the whole rumour was, I mean, it was simple enough. He, he was a spy. Just when there's a young lad, I hear, now and again you hear a mention of it. But it was always like that the body came up and back in the river. That's just far nasty That's far nasty altogether. We never heard anything like that. It was interesting for my generation is to see, looking back and to see the nastiness of what was going on then, how to glorify people at that time and make comparisons to what was going on in oh, the north of Ireland, oh, you know. Like, was there any... Much the same, you know. But there were particularly nasty episodes in the, in the Irish War of Independence, but that's the point we're making, yeah. that very often they're conveniently forgotten about and they're portrayed in a certain way to glorify the people who were involved. And really, when you strip it back down, it was very nasty as well. And there was a lot of personal vendettas acted upon, and... From what you just showed us, it looked like there was personal stuff involved in this. That's why uh, it's 1917, their house being born, to me, is very, very significant. The fact that it was ex-British Army, wouldn't, it wouldn't mark you out in Greg Manor at that time for particular, you know, ill-feeling or bad will, because Owen is doing a book at the minute about half the town was involved in the British Army and fought in the First World War. It doesn't look like it was just a straightforward case of... Um, the guy was giving information to the British Army. Somebody was going to be taken out to be made an example of. And if you put that together with the antagonism that the family were going through anyway at local level, it looks like he was a target. That's what happened. He was pulled out and, you know, whether he was actually doing anything wrong or not, you'd now have to question. If he came down from Dublin with the probate and then the health board threw it out. And that was, I would imagine, peopled by... Ex-Republicans, you know, they would have been setting up this, the state. They throw it back in his face, and so this, the gloves are off then. And he goes to court and tells all the stories again that he would have, wouldn't have had to go through, you know. Had to go through a lot then again. But for the father to go down and and to walk yeah. away and he, and his poor daughter and the poor family to walk away and, and leave there, I just don't, I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe that. Couldn't believe it. Believe I couldn't believe it. Like. A 16-year-old girl ah. is very young and should be intimidated by whoever around. We don't know how many people were around there at the time. And obviously somebody could say, well, look, we just put the body back in. If they had nobody to go to, what did they do? And they have no money to go and organise a hearse and a funeral and everything. I don't know. To be honest with you, that's confused it more. Really, now, that's really confused it more. This highlights the story of Kenny and yeah. the family yeah, yeah. and it adds more layers yeah. to that but yeah. it doesn't make any further connection, connection. Mm -hmm. none whatsoever so for the body to 
resurface opposite, say, the Tullerher Ross Birkin area, geographically wouldn't make sense, you know. Like, that was a very busy river at that time. Well, it was a very, very busy, so the canal boats were going up and down all the different times. I mean, do no one would have moved anything, yeah. I'd imagine, like, you know, especially at the time, what was going on, like. I am not sure if we have any way of knowing what really happened to Kenny. Was he a spy? Why was his family singled out when the other hundred or so Greg Namala men serving in the British Army were not? Did Kenny's body resurface again? I rang Captain Larry Scallon to update him on what I had found out about the Kenny family. This inspired Larry to search out Kenny's military records. He forwarded them on to me with the following email. The story goes on, Patricia. William wants to give us his story in pieces. His papers are part of the burnt collection. They were saved from a burning warehouse in London during the Blitz. Regards, Larry Scallon. In among these fragments of blackened papers, you can just make out some detail of Kenny's military life. On the 23rd of January 1915, Kenny enlisted. He signed with an ex, a 17-year-old illiterate. When he left the army, he signed W. Kenny in his own handwriting. He served in Ireland and in France. This is a young man with a very long, poor disciplinary record, which concluded on the 18th of October 1919, when he was discharged as he was no longer physically fit for war service and was awarded a 20% disability pension of eight shillings a week. On his discharge papers, badly burnt and water damaged, you can just make out the following questions and answers. Sobriety, not sober. Is he reliable? No. Is he intelligent? Average. Special aptitudes for civil life? None. We are left with only the remnants of burned papers and more questions. Another version, perhaps, of the same story. On my final return to Belfast, I had uncovered no facts surrounding the grave, no certainty of a name, no confirmation of a body, no information on who placed the poppies. All I had was a story retold, and in the retelling, a family's tragedy is remembered in different ways. The last thought about it is what, what connects the um, rural graveyard with the urban city setting, if you will. In Belfast, we're just over 20 years ago the ceasefires happened and I know that there are still people who think that the ceasefires were wrong and that the Good Friday Agreement was wrong and to some degree they are people who think that it, it is legitimate that armed struggle is legitimate many of those people are people who weren't even born when the ceasefire happened. So I think it's important that we don't let these tragedies be forgotten because when we do that, there is a tendency to glorify struggle. And that, to me, is the significant link between the rural and the urban setting.
a Curious Broadcast production. Narration by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Contact Studio. Witness statements and newspaper articles read by David Hurley. Witness statements courtesy of Bureau of Military History, collection at Military Archives.